I'm Arthur. And I'm Susan. This is the Parent Talk Podcast. Managing the challenges of daily parenting. Thanks to our founding sponsor, Naturopedic, the nation's most trusted source of organic and healthy sleep products for your children. You can visit them at naturopedic.com. That's naturopedic.com. Well, we want to welcome our listeners back to another episode of Parent Talk. And I think it's especially apt that we're recording this session before the equinox, where the whole world has sunset at the same time, and everyone achieves equanimity, of course, because we're going to talk about is preschool, and one goal of reaching equanimity when your child goes to preschool is understanding how to communicate with your teachers. And Susan, you might partner on this venture of Parent Talk, are one of the nation's experts when it comes to preschool and how parents interact with teachers. And so I'm really excited, actually, to hear your thoughts on the five things that preschool teachers would love the parents in their preschools to know. I picked five things, but of course, there probably are 105 things or maybe even a million and five things that preschool teachers would like parents to know. But after being a director for many, many years and all my experience in other preschools, I've sort of narrowed them down to things that have, I hope, broader implications. The first one is to help your preschool child recognize their own belongings. And that might say, well, huh, what are you talking about? But you would be absolutely amazed that when it's time to go outdoors and to go to the playground, that the children don't really know which is their coat. And if you've got 15 or 16, three or four-year-olds or more in a classroom, room, the teacher really doesn't have time. By the time she looked at all the labels and got everyone's coat on, it would be time to come back in. So it's sort of essential that kids understand what their belongings look like. And you can say, all right, well, that seems pretty simple. But this really has a deeper implication because it's one of the things that I like to talk to parents about. And very specifically, when I'm working in a daycare situation, talking to the the infant and toddler teachers, you should always be narrating what you're doing with your child as you're talking to them. And this has a lot to do with recognizing your own belongings. So when you're putting on the baby's hat or coat, you say, oh, look at this is Sophie's coat. You see it's green, it's blue, whatever it is, you know, we're putting it on. Here's your arm. We're putting your arms through. Not only does it help the child sort of focus on what you're doing and what the coat looks like, it also extends their language. This is how children learn to speak. They do not learn to speak by watching television or an iPad. They have to see the human mouth (laughs) moving up and down, which was a big issue when COVID was so rampant and infant and toddler teachers had to, of course, they needed to wear their their masks. Babies, their communication was very much hampered. Well, let me ask you something on this, Susan. So there's a range of ages when we say preschool. For instance, I've got grandchildren age one through nine and the one and two-year-old are in some sort of program. I think the two-year-old is called pre-K two now. I'm not sure she could figure out what her code is. I bet she could, your two-year-old, maybe not the one-year-old, but I I have to tell you, you ask a one-year-old, go get your shoes. And if whether they're crawling or walking, they will be able to find their shoes. But parents need to ask these questions. But what I'm really talking about when they really recognize their lunchbox, their boots, is about three, two and a half to three. Yeah, but I you've got to start it much, much younger. And that's yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I don't expect a six-month-old to point to their <laughs> coat and say, that's my coat. But I do think a three-year-old should be able to recognize their coat, especially because they get all mixed up 
up. I've been in preschools a lot of years and those little cubbies get all mixed up. And even if the child's picture or name is on there, those coats are not going to always be in the right place. It's important for a child to know to do that. And you know something? I talk to kindergarten teachers because, you know, in fact, so you and I were on a panel for helping children get ready for kindergarten. Remember, we did that yeah. several years. And when people say, what, did the, what does a kindergarten teacher need? One of the first things they say is that they have to know what belongs to them. And of course, it's obvious. You take your child to the big box store or wherever you get your backpack or your coats and you have the child... <laughs> have some investment in it and help pick it out. But it gave me an opportunity to talk about how important it is to narrate your actions when you're when you're working with a baby or a toddler. Those are incredibly important pre-language skills. So that would be number one. That's so interesting because as a parent and now a grandparent, I would never think that was an issue. We drop our kids off at the preschool and we think they've got it all set, but Yeah, what a great thing to be able to help the teachers so that the kids can get outside and get back in. And think about lunchboxes. You have no idea how many times I've seen a child open a lunchbox and start to eat somebody else's lunch. (laughs) That that can actually be a problem if there are allergies. I mean, it's funny unless there's an allergy involved. And there's a lot of allergies out there, so that's very meaningful. So number two, if you thought that was fun... Wait to hear my number two. In fact, number two is actually the perfect number for it because it's preschool teachers would like potty trained children to know how to wipe themselves. And you're going to say they can't do a good enough job. Well, that is the parent's job to teach them how to wipe girls front to back, how to look at the paper, give them some wipes. Because I cannot begin to tell you how many times I've heard from kindergarten teachers that the mother will come in and say, you'll wipe him because he doesn't do a good job. And the kindergarten teacher will say, I won't. And I can assure you in public or private school, they will not. So this is a skill that should be mastered in preschool. What's the worst thing that happens? You get a few little marks on the underwear. So you throw them in with some OxyClean or something like that. I mean, it's not a big deal. It's much more important for that child to feel that they are that boss of their body. You know, the words we like to use, that they are independent and in control of this whole process of taking care of their bodies, that they're still not dependent on an adult. That whole process can be theirs. And again, we're talking about the potty trained child, not an infant, not a young toddler, but the child who is actually using the toilet. You know, uh, when we wrote our book, Who's the Boss? Moving families from conflict to collaboration, one of the main things we heard from parents has been, oh my gosh, when we turned over control of mastering the skill to the child and they achieved it, everything else opened up. So someone who learned a toilet train, went to a toddler bed, learned how to ride a tricycle. I mean, like the whole world exploded forward. And so wiping may seem like a small issue, but that's the good news it's a small step. Once you're mastering the toilet, it's not much work for the parent to teach the child how to wipe. And that just adds a whole nother dimension of mastery to the child's life. See, this is what I mean. They look pretty straightforward, but there's always a kind of like deep waters underneath. My next one is if a preschool teacher could tell the parent, they would say, we think your child is special but we have 14, 16, 18 kids in our class. And we promise that every single child will get our attention, but maybe not immediately. 
Sometimes your child may have to wait, and that can be frustrating for the child, but of course, also a a positive and a valuable learning experience for the child. Let me give you an example. A mother came to me. She was very distressed because the teacher wasn't, in her mind, greeting her child appropriately. Well, I knew this teacher for a long time, and I know that she is a very warm and a new to get down to the child's level, et cetera. Talked to the teacher, and then I went to observe what was going on. And I noticed that when this little girl came in, the teacher was, in fact, greeting another child, getting down to her level, helping the child put their coat away in their lunchbox and doing all those things. And the mother was getting steamed up. Because what she wanted was for that teacher to leave the child she was talking to in the moment and go right to her child. She could not seem to understand why her child wasn't getting instantaneous hellos and greetings and this one-on-one interaction. Well, that's something that you know that's coming from inside the parent. It's not even something that a director can change a feeling very much about because they're not seeing the whole picture at all. And even pointing it out to the parent in a kind way and in a therapeutic way, you might say, it didn't really help with this parent. She got a little bit better, but I will tell you, that's what she brought to the party, if you know what I mean. And you know, preschools are built to help kids learn how to share and take their turns. They're not really built to help the parents learn how to take a turn. Well, generally, what I would say to a parent in a situation like that is that I just reflect back on their feelings. I'm not going to change it. I just said, boy, I see that it's very distressing that the teacher isn't always available to say hello to your child. And what we came up with is that she could be the first child in the class or she could be the last child to come in, you know, come in a few minutes late. And I believe that she chose one of those options. I think she came early so that the teacher could interact with her child on a one-to-one basis. But preschool teachers, good preschool teachers, they do think of every child as unique, as special, as somebody that deserves their attention. It's just that there are always going to be days where the attention is going to be diverted from an event or one other child who needs special attention on that particular day. It's something that parents need to keep in mind. Don't think that their child is being dismissed. I'm not saying that that isn't possible, but if you've chosen your preschool wisely, you're going to find a teacher that really is responsive to your child. You know, on this subject, it reminds me of one of the things I get saddest about in older children's lives, actually, because I think about the great divide between daycare preschool on one side of the divide and elementary, a middle, and high school. I think there's still a bit of the special, everybody's special in kindergarten and first grade, and probably goes through a chunk of elementary school. But as time goes on, it's more of a workplace. It's not that everyone's glad to see you. Did you turn your homework in is the question. And um, I think that's a tragedy because I look at my uh, grandchildren, and I think it's true for all parents who are listening. They know their toddler, their preschooler has an insatiable curiosity. There's an electric spark in their eyes. They spend their day exploring the world and their curiosity is red hot. By the time they're in second, third, fourth grade, it's more of an assembly line and you have to do what everyone's telling you to do. And the eyes dull. I don't know why we don't maintain the intellectual vibrancy of a two, three, four-year-old on through high school. Well, I think what you've given us is a excellent topic for a future podcast. (laughs) Well, I'm going to move on to number four. Boy, the time goes so quickly when you're having a good time, right? 
Here's something that every almost every parent will hear at least once, and that is something that isn't completely positive about their child. Yes, it happens. <laughs> so I think preschool teachers would like to say, please don't overreact if you hear something that your child is having challenges, because really we're on the same team. This is not about me trying to like pick on your child. I'm really here with the same purpose as you are, and that is to give your child the best start in school and the best beginning to their learning community. And I do want to say a few little caveats here, because I know that parents have come to me and said, the teacher says that my child has autism. The teacher says that my child is severely speech delayed. The teacher says that my child needs to go into therapy because they're so shy. If a teacher does say something like this, you have every right to challenge that because teachers, unless they are also school psychologists or pediatricians or neurologists, are not qualified to label a child or to diagnose a child. What you can always say to a teacher is that instead of giving me a label, describe my child's behaviors. And if they're describing to you the fact that they're not playing with toys appropriately, that they have no friends, that they turn over the truck and they're just spinning the wheels as opposed to playing with it. Descriptions are always the way, is really what you want to hear from a preschool teacher. And then from that, you can discuss it with the teacher, discuss it with the director, and then just say, okay, now I'm ready to talk to my pediatrician attrition or to, to see if it's necessary for me to get a speech evaluation or some other sort of evaluation. But here's the part that parents need to play, especially if the behaviors are new. The parent has a, an obligation to share with the director and parents in a very confidential way anything that might be happening in their house, in their home, in their environment that might be impacting their child's behavior. So have there, has there been a serious illness of a parent or a sibling or a grandparent? Is there a divorce looming? Are they moving to a new city or a new house? Have there been any other distresses or upsets in the child's life that might have an impact? Was this child born prematurely? Did this child have to undergo invasive medical procedures? It's important because it's very difficult to understand a child's behavior if you don't have some idea of what makes up this child's personality and the child's world. This is a complex topic. It brings to mind two truisms I've come to believe through several decades of practice. One is all observations are true. Not all explanations for the observations are true, but all observations are true. I love that. Great. And, and the second is almost everything anyone does, they do for a reason. If they do it for a good reason and we like what they do, we don't really talk a lot about what's happening. If they do it for a good reason, but we don't like what they do, then we call that behavior. <laughs> you call it a bad behavior or a challenging right. behavior. That's right. Yeah, where behavior often is attached to actions that we're not that thrilled with. But even if someone's biting someone else or someone's not paying attention or can't sit still, there's a reason for it. Of course. And sometimes it's just a developmental stage. Sometimes it's because there is something going on that we don't know about. So the open communication between the parent and the school, I think, is essential. And I remember talking to a director of another preschool, 
if the parent came to them and said, we've got some concerns about things, the director never delved. She said, oh, that would be too private. And she said, I just give them a list of five names of therapists. And I thought, wow, to me, she was missing the boat big time there. Because especially if the parent comes to the director, they're actually anxious to talk about it. They want to tell somebody that they think understands or knows their child, like what's going on. So I think that parents who do go to the director, hopefully will get some support and some guidance and some direction. Because sometimes these things are very easy to figure out that they're not lifelong challenges. They're just something in the moment. And we are almost out of time. So I'm going to wrap up with our fifth thing that preschool teachers would like parents to know. And they would like to say to parents, please do not compare your child with other children in the classroom. Oh, yes. Because, you know, because what a teacher will get from a parent is how come my child is still crying and the other children are going into the classroom? And a child who is who's taking longer with separation is probably just a sensitive child with a particularly strong attachment. Those are good things. Those aren't bad things. Or if you notice that all the other children are beginning to write their letters and write their name, let's say at the end of a three-year-old class, although some children are earlier, I know my listeners are going to say, my kid wrote their name at two, fine. You know, that's great. (laughs) But I'm talking about averages and your child is still scribbling. Do you know that writing, it's a developmental continuum that we can actually say exactly where the child is. And a good teacher and director will help you understand if this is something that you need to be concerned about, that it's way out of the parameters, or if it's really well within the typical parameters for a a two, three, four-year-old, whatever age your child is. It's very hard not to compare. And I'm going to share a personal (laughs) story with this. When my oldest, and remember first child, and she was the only child at that time, was three years old exactly. And she had a little friend who was almost to the day one year younger than she was, who was two. And this little two-year-old sat in the back seat in her car seat and said the entire alphabet and with the little song at the end, and, and she knew it all. And my daughter, one year older, remember, could not do that. She got she got sort of the gist of it. But to be honest with you, it wasn't the alphabet. And I'm going, oh my God, I still remember that feeling. And my daughter is, well, she's more than three <laughs> by a couple of decades. So, you know, I still have that, remember that feeling like, oh my God, what am I doing? I'm not doing the alphabet with her enough. She's not as bright as she, you know, what, what's the matter? And of course, nothing was the matter. Maybe this child had a parent that was relentless in teaching her the alphabet. Maybe she just had a great auditory memory. Maybe she just had more interest in it. The idea is, is that it's, I understand. I remember that feeling of like, ah, my kid isn't the best. My kid isn't doing this. Take a deep breath, take two or three steps back and try to get some perspective. It's easier said than done for sure, Arthur, but it can be done. I've often said to parents, because this is a universal concern, whether you're in preschool or not, gee, how come my kid isn't doing such and so yet? Development is like a light switch going on. I've always said to parents, when the light switch goes on, doesn't tell you anything about how bright the bulb is. Oh, I love that. You have such great little, what would you call those? Metaphors? I don't know. <laughs> They're fantastic. I think about writing your own name. I would say to the parent, tell me your top three favorite authors, your writers you love the best, Faulkner, Shakespeare, whatever, Tolstoy. And then I say, okay, at what age did each of them write their own name? <laughs> and of course, it doesn't matter at all because someone might learn to walk 
at age two years and end up being a gold medalist in the Olympics. And someone else might learn to walk at nine months and not be good at any sports at all. So like I say, when you start to acquire the skill, it doesn't tell you how good your skill is going to be at all. Absolutely. And you know, it's interesting that most of these skills are very finite defined skills, like being able to name the letters, being able to name all the colors, recognizing sight words. And interestingly enough, something called Bloom's Taxonomy. Are you familiar with it, Arthur? I'm not. Let's put it this way. It's like a pyramid and the very bottom, the lowest level of skills is what? It's memory and recitation and repetition. The higher level skills are analysis and evaluation. It's much easier to quantify, look at this child named all the letters correctly Oh, as yeah. opposed to a child who can, can analyze or evaluate a situation and make decisions based on that analysis. So we'll yeah. talk about that another time. But yeah. it's this because I think that this comparing to other children, that's a tough one, I think, for any parent. Lovely. Well, I can't believe it. we made it through the top five. Well done. So I, I want to thank you, Susan, for this uh, guided tour behind the scenes in preschool, really opening the door for parents to understand better how to think about approaching preschool in the best way possible. And with that, I'm going to wish everyone well and look forward to joining you again at our next episode of Parent Talk. Bye-bye, Arthur. Thanks again for listening to the Parent Talk podcast. You can find back episodes and send us your parenting questions at parenttalkpodcast.com. And don't forget to visit our founding sponsor, Naturepedic, at naturepedic.com.